going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> this is the word of our Lord, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that it would be faithfully explained and applied. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We're taking a four-week break from our, first, uh, from our first John series to talk about a theme, a theme for 2022. And the theme that I've been presenting to you, this will be the third Sunday that we'll be talking about that, is the theme of humility. And today I want us to see that humility leads to community. Genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ always translates itself into a pattern of living. And this pattern of living is always relational. Christianity cannot be lived in isolation. Christianity is always lived in community, in relationships. The gospel is always lived out in community. And we can't live in community if we are full of pride. Pride kills relationships. And every, I'm thoroughly convinced that every relational problem we have, both in our relationship with God and with each other, has as its root pride in our own hearts, in the hearts of those around us. So life in community, life in unity, as Paul talks about here in Ephesians chapter 4, flows out of a humble heart. And that's why we're striving for humility. As we look forward to this new year, it's weird to think this is a new year. It feels like it's been going forever already. Uh, I think for the last few years that the theory of relativity has proven itself true as time passes at very different rates uh, than we were used to it. But as we look forward to this new year, and it is a new year, today is only the 9th of January, most resolutions are not broken yet till tomorrow, uh, two weeks into uh, the year. May we pursue Christian humility so that we may live in unity with one another for the glory of God. And the first thing I want us to see here, and we eventually lead to talking about humility in our passage, is that life can be lived in the light of the gospel under any circumstances. Have you ever thought about, you know, if, if these things fall into place, then I can be obedient to Christ. If this happened, then I can live out what Christ calls me to do. If my life turns this way, then I can grow in humility. But what Paul teaches us here, that that's not the case. That life can be lived in the light of the gospel under any circumstance. You see that in verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy 
of the calling with which you were called. Therefore, because of all that I've taught you, Paul says, I want you to live in a certain way. I, I encourage you to later today, as you continue uh, before the Lord, that you'd read Ephesians 1 through 3 to see what is it that Paul is referring to that's going to help us obey what he's telling us uh, to do here. And you know, it, it, everything that Paul says in, verse one through, in chapters 1 through 3, and I still want you to go back and read, can be summarized in a statement that uh, is attributed to John Newton as he is about to die, in which he says, I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. That's really chapters 1 through 3. And now he says, because that's true, now you're going to, to live, walk in a certain way. The fact that God has chosen us to be saved in Jesus Christ when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and that solely by His grace He brought us from death to life, must have a wide impact in our lives. And notice how Paul brings up the fact that he is in prison in verse 1. Our translation says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. He's not trying to make the Ephesians feel bad and manipulate them into doing what he's telling them to do. Look, I'm in prison. I'm in prison of the Lord. Go ahead and do it. He's not using his circumstances to manipulate them. As a matter of fact, uh, most of, if you're using New King James, you're going to have a little um, note attached to the word of. And you see that literally is the word in. I am a prisoner in the Lord. The way that he was supposed to live, his calling at that moment was as a prisoner. I'm behaving right now as a prisoner in the Lord. That's how I act as a prisoner. As being in the state of being in the Lord. So he's living life at that moment as a prisoner, as one who is in the Lord. Now, the work of God through Christ in his life dominates the way that he is a prisoner. That's what characterizes him. Paul's faith in Christ has a real and pervasive impact on how he carries himself as a prisoner. So he's a prisoner in the Lord. He's walking worthy of the calling that God called him in Jesus Christ. And by referring to himself as a prisoner in the Lord... Paul is demonstrating that living in the light of the gospel is something that the Christian does under any circumstances, including living in humility. The stars don't have to align in a certain way. Things don't have to be favorable for us to live in the light of the gospel, even in prison, even uh, facing potential death penalty, even facing potential negative consequences, one can live in the light of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we do not have to wait for a particular set of circumstances in order to live out who we are in Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait for our spouse to change. We don't have to wait for our children to grow. We don't have to wait till we make more money. We do it now, and we grow in humility. Now, James Boyce says... God, who has awakened us to a new life, also gives us the power to live that life. You already have the Spirit of God in you, in whatever circumstances you are. And you can live in obedience to Christ, including humbling yourselves now. Not tomorrow, not next year, 
All right, when the kids stop being bad, now you can grow in the Lord. The Holy Spirit also wants us to live out the truth of whom we are in Jesus Christ in our relationships. In verses 2 through 3, he says, With all holiness, and that's the word for humility, with all humility and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What Paul says here controls all that follows in the book of Ephesians. These two verses are now going to be the, the operating system of whatever else he says in the rest of Ephesians. In essence, the rest of the book describes this walk. And this walk is always in relationship. This life that the Christian lives is always in a life in relationships. So humility, gentleness, patience, love, and peace will mark all the relationships that are described in the rest of the book. And if you look at the rest of the book, he actually describes much heavier other relationship in the church of Jesus Christ that are going to be marked by these things. Now, listen again. Humility, so lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, peace. What does it remind you of? Aren't these a fruit of the Spirit? So Paul is saying that the fruit of the Spirit is to pervade and mark the way that we live. In our life lived in relationships, that is a life lived in community, a life that is equivalent to our status as children of God, is marked by unity. Not discord, not disunity, not fighting, but unity. Being bound together by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are united together because of our love for one another, Paul says here in verse 3. <clears throat> the bond of unity in the church is not sameness, but love. We're not called to, um, we are called to unity not because we're the same, but because we love each other. Diversity in unity. The unity in diversity is what Paul calls us here. There's a great diversity of gifts in the church, all of them needed for the unity of the body. The reason we can be united is because we are different. Are you with me on this one? God is not calling us to be copies of one another. He is he's calling us to be copies of Christ, but not copies of one another. And He equips us so that we need each other because we're different from one another. And the church operates with all these gifts together in unity. And that only happens if we humble ourselves. And this unity is, this unity is spirit-born, is an evidence of the work of the Spirit in the life of the church. A church that is in disarray is giving testimony that the Spirit of God is not present in that church. In Romans 8, 6, Paul says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So when there is a lack of peace, there is also an evidence of this carnally mind present there. This unity, brothers and sisters, is not the work of the Holy Spirit, but the work of the prince of this world. So when we sow disunity, when we sow discord through gossip, through slander, through pride, through self-centeredness, through laziness, through having an unforgiving spirit, we are instruments of Satan in his attempt to destroy the church. So I want you to think about your life. 
And I want you to think where there is, there is disarray. I want you to think where there is self-centeredness. When, I want you to think where it is, there is laziness or arrogance. And if you're honest, you're going to find evidences of those in your life. Where there's an unforgiving spirit. Look at the relationships in your life. And which ones are broken because your heart is unwilling to forgive those that are around you. We can't forgive till we are asked to be, to be to, for forgiveness. But we can have a heart that's ready and able to forgive. If you don't have that, you're, you're going to have a bunch of broken relationships in your life. And if you find that in those moments, you're being agents of Satan, to destroy, being used to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. The issue is, is that Christ is building his church. He will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he will eliminate all his enemies, all those that are actually working for the destruction of his kingdom. You know, that's why Paul is so hard on the contentious person. In Titus chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, he's talking to the pastor Titus, and telling them how to tell him how to teach the people and how to act toward the people in his congregation. And he says this, reject a divisive man. Reject him. After the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. What marks your life? Is your life marked by confusion and division or by unity? Unity in our relationships demonstrates demonstrate the oneness of our God and, our, and of our faith. When we live in humble unity with one another, we're demonstrating who our God is. Paul says that in verses 4 through 6, where he, he gives us this confession. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. The, the one God, one Spirit, one Lord has called us into one body. We've been given one faith. Our common belief in Jesus Christ has brought us together. No, not, he's not talking about absolute theological agreement, but agreement on Jesus is. And that has brought us together. We are all baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and are thus united to one another through our union with Christ. All these things are encouragements to live in our, out our faith in Christ in unity with the brethren. And that can only be done according to what he says in verse 2, because verse 2 really gives us the, the way in which that's done. Look at verse two again. 2 again. He says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, in love, and that first word in our Bible translate lowliness uh, uh, is humility. That is the driving. This is what defines the other. This is the driving car. It's the engine of the train of relationships. This is what's going to move us in, towards unity in the church, humility in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Charles Hodge, a uh, well-known Princeton professor of the 1800s said this concerning this passage, to be raised from the depths of degradation and misery and made the sons of God and thus exalted to an inconceivable elevation and dignity 
does and must produce humility and meekness. Where these effects are not found, we may conclude the exaltation has not taken place. Do you see what he's saying? Here, this is us. We are in the depths of degradation. We are in the depths of misery. That's us, not somebody else, not the really bad people out there. But that's everyone who is a human, who is a descendant of Adam and Eve. And for God to reach down to that miry pit, to raise you up out of that miry pit, put you upon a rock and give you a new song, and to call you a son and a daughter of himself through Jesus Christ, to be elevated to that height, knowing where we're coming from, has to bear humility. And what Hodge suggests is that if humility is not present, it's because you likely do not know the heights, the depths from which you've been brought, and the heights to which you have been brought. Humility is interesting. Uh, the word humility is, is the humility as a, as a whole is the first necessity for a life in community that is marked by unity. The NIV. I joke. I always joke with somebody that they carried a little Mickey Mouse version because they carry an NIV. But the NIV does a good job over here when it says that first word, be completely humble. And that's the only way we're going to achieve relational unity in the church is through being completely humble. The grace of God in Jesus Christ in our lives drives us away from pride, away from self-centeredness, and toward humility in serving others. Because that is the mind of Christ. Turn with me for a moment to Philippians chapter 2. Actually, you may leave Ephesians 4 behind. Turn to Philippians chapter 2 for a moment. The Apostle Paul tells us that this is the mind of Christ. In verse 5 it says, uh, put on the mind of Christ that he just described in verses 3 and 4 of Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. He tells us, what is it that you don't do? What is it that's not the mind of Christ here? Pride, right? Selfish ambition and conceit. General selfishness and being full of yourself. That's, conceit is just being full of yourself. That's not the mind of Christ. Pride will inv- invariably lead to conflict and disunity. At the root of every conflict, there is pride somewhere. And you can go down and find it somewhere. Person, uh, Homer Kent, uh, commentary on Philippians 2 says, persons who seek to advance themselves usually enjoy glory in their success, but all such glory is vain conceit. And John Calvin says, whence comes rudeness, pride, and disdain, disdainful language towards the brethren? Whence comes quarrels, insults, and reproaches? Where do these, these things come from? Calvin asks. Come they not from this, that everyone carries his love of himself and his regard to his own interest to excess? Isn't that, isn't that the source of all these relational issues, that we're just too self-centered? Pride will not promote the mind of Christ in us. Now, as a review, listen to what the Bible says concerning pride. 
Pride is a product, as a fruit of the flesh, James 4, 6 tells us. Pride keeps you from listening to God's word and destroys relationships. 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 5 says that pride comes from an evil heart. Jesus explicitly says that in Mark 7, 22. Pride is Satan's chief sin. When giving us the qualifications for an elder, or are you looking for a man in order to put him forward? He says he's not to be a novice in 1 Timothy 3, lest he fall into the same sin of pride as Satan did. Pride is the result of exchanging the truth of God for a lie, as Romans 1.30 tells us. God resists the proud. 1 Peter 5, 5. And there the word resist is actually the word for hostile. Paul, the God is hostile to the proud person. And again, remember, the idea that God loves the sin, but God hates the sin, but loves the sinner is a false idea. The sin cannot be separated from the sinner. The only way that God looks over sin is through Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not there, there's no love lost between God and the sinner. Pride results in shame, Proverbs 11, 2. Pride is a characteristic of the fool. Proverbs 14, 3 says, In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. Think of the imagery. So in the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. So the fool is proud, and that pride is demonstrated as a rod that he's going to use to do what? To beat other people with. That's the picture that we have here. Pride brings destruction, Proverbs 16, 18. God hates pride and he will destroy the house of the proud, Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 15. Stay away from the proud, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 19. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoils with the proud. Pride is sin, Proverbs 21, 4. The proud does not trust in the Lord. Pride is the ultimate act of unbelief. Proverbs 28, 22 says, He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. See the contrast? Trust in the Lord is the opposite of pride. So as children of God, we understand that there is no reason for us to be proud. So pride dies and is replaced with humility. Look at what, uh, again, what Paul says there in Philippians chapter 2, verse Three. So you, you, you put off selfish ambition, you put off conceit, but in lowliness of mind, that is in humility, what do you do? You esteem others better than yourself. You prefer others, as Paul says elsewhere. Also, not only are you interested in the, what is yours, you are interested in what is others. You look out not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. If you look at um, ancient literature, Greek ancient literature, the word humility was a cuss word. The word humility outside of Christian circles before the first century, even during the first century, was a word that was only used to criticize people. It was a bad word. It was the word meant for mean-spirited. If you're not exalting yourself, there's something wrong with you, was the idea of the world by using that word. So humility is not a characteristic of the world, but is essential. Essential for a spiritual life in community. It goes against human nature. Yet our Savior Himself is our example of humility as He became a man and humbled Himself. Look at verse 5 
of Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's who our Savior is, a humble Savior who was exalted by God. He humbled himself before God, and God exalted him. Now, we've been talking about humility for a while, but we haven't defined it. So what is humility? Now, humility is not saying that you are worse than everybody else. Self-deprecation is not necessarily humility. Often, we may deprecate ourselves hoping that somebody's going to exalt us. Right? I'm really bad at this. Oh, no, you're great. Yeah, of course I am. I already knew that. I just wanted you to say uh, th- that's often how self-deprecation goes. So humility is not the same as being self-deprecating. If you're good at something, denying it doesn't make you humble. Humility includes acknowledging the gifts of God, the ones that He's given you, and using them in His service by serving others. Humility is really not thinking about yourself. In Proverbs 27, 2 says, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Uh, in uh, describing what mere Christianity is, what, what, what Christianity is at its simplest form, C.S. Lewis says this, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he'll be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. You can look up a smarmy later. Who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you would think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do, if you do dislike him, it will be because you will feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. Easily, He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. That's C.S. Lewis's description of a humble person. I think that, this, um, that, that is true. I really like the musical Hamilton. You can forgive me for that if you'd like. But in the music Hamilton... They, they, they play out an, inter- an exchange of letters between uh, Alexander Hamilton and um, Aaron Burr Jr. And they just criticize each other. They just step on each other's throat. And then they always end it with, Your humble servant, Ahem, or A. Burr. If you find yourself having to say that you're humble, you're probably not humble. If, if people find this necessity to say, I'm your humble servant, there might be an indication that, that you're, you're not. That's for other people to worry about. Your, our concern is to die to self, to think of us as less than other people, and to prefer them, and to serve them in love. Listen to what the Bible says concerning humility. Humility is a characteristic of heavenly living. In Colossians 3, it says that since you are in heavenly place with Christ, then you put on certain things. And in verse 12, one of the things is humility. That's a characteristic of heavenly living. Every Christian is called to humility. In Titus chapter 
3, verses 1 and 2, Paul is telling Titus what to preach. And he says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready to, for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. He's not talking to Titus alone, but to everyone in the church. That's what they need to do. Faith and humility go hand in hand. When Jesus is talking about what kind of faith the apostles should have in, in Matthew chapter 18, in verse 4, he says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Christians are to be drawn to humility. In Romans 12, 16, it says that we are to associate with the humble. We are to be drawn to the humble, which is contrary to the role models that we have put before us and our children today, right? LeBron James, no, just pumping his fist. You see little three- and four-year-old kids no, shooting a basketball and just kind of pumping and doing a dance. And uh, the football games would be an hour shorter if the players didn't do dances after every single play. Now, they step on the field. That, that's a great accomplishment. Let's do a dance here. That's not what we're looking for. Humility associates. We are drawn to humility, to the humble. God exalts the humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. And what will He do? He will lift you up. He will exalt you. At the end of the day, humility is total and ultimate dependence on another. Namely, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Totally and complete dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Peter says? Humble yourselves under his mighty, the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. And then He tells us how we do that humbling. By doing what? By casting all our cares, casting all our anxieties upon Him, for He cares for you. And that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, if you haven't gotten this yet, humility is important to the Lord. This is the second half of Isaiah. He is painting this huge God who is coming to bless His people. And in Isaiah 57, verse 15, the prophet says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, the high and lofty one who lives outside of time, who is greater than time, who is greater than creation, who is not like us, whose name is holy, completely other. This is what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. What God is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm the greatest being ever. I'm bigger than anything. I am other than creation. I'm self-sufficient. And my enjoyment is with the humble. In essence, God is using some human terms saying, I just like being with humble people. That's, that's the people I enjoy. It says a similar thing in Isaiah 66, where it says, On this one will I look. Now, is God unaware of everybody else? No. But he's saying, this is the one I'm going to look. This is the one I'm going to stare at. This is the one that's going to keep before me. This is the one I will enjoy being with on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. This is another way of saying the humble. Brothers and sisters, we see that humility is incredibly important to God. And he calls us to humility. And so the question remains, how can we grow in humility? 
That's what we're going to consider in two weeks from today. But let me end with this. Life in community, life in unity, flows out of humble hearts. As we look forward to this new year, may we pursue Christian humility so that we may live in unity with one another for the glory of God. Kill pride before pride kills you. Humble yourself before the Lord and let Him exalt you. And sometimes He will exalt you through suffering. How, how did He exalt His Son? He exalted His Son through the cross. But He will exalt you. And He promises that if not in this life, in the life to come, He will raise you from the dead and bring you back to life. And forever you will be with Jesus Christ, for you will be like Him. Let us pray together. Father, thank You that You are a God who loves the humble. Father, we thank You that Your Spirit dwells in us and that You already have eliminated the dominion of sin over us. Enable us to put off pride that's consistent with who we were apart from Christ and put on humility, which is a, the mind of our Savior. Kill pride in our lives. Help us to live in humility. And that humility would generate unity in your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.